mom and teen real talk. We are here talking to you all as moms. We are not teens, but we have teens. We talk. We were to teens. teens. We we were teens at one point. We have raised teenagers, are raising teenagers, and um, teens might be out there listening. So, mom and teens. That's that's what we're here for. Maybe some dads are here. And we're talking about Jenny and Georgia. We're talking about the TV show on Netflix. And this one is basically, it's a mom and teen relationship. That's that's what the show is primarily centered around. Um, a pretty unusual mom and teen relationship, I would say. So we can dive into all the things that we noticed in episode five and six. Let's talk about it. And my name is Angie Solly. I'm here with Dr. Nikki. Let's talk about all the things. I love to talk about all the things, all the things, Ginny and Georgia. Wait, you said something so interesting though, Angie, you said a pretty unusual mom and teen relationship. What mm -hmm. did you find unusual about it? Well, in episode six, um, the mom kind of tells her daughter, who's I guess around 16, that uh, she has murdered a previous husband, kind of confesses murder to her daughter and puts that on her or daughter. Like now that's kind of on her daughter's mind and conscience of um, that. So I, I, I think that is probably pretty unusual. <laughs> But that in episode six, I'm, did I miss something? I mean, Ginny found the gun. Right? Oh no! What if I? Oh shoot! I skipped ahead. Okay, no, because you I skipped ahead. I, Are you trying to? I get, fast get forwarded like ten episodes. I skipped ten episodes to see what happens end of season two to see. Good grief! Oh my no. god! Did I just cheated? <laughs> erase that from your brains. Okay. So what is what is unusual about this prior to that is just, um, let's see, I think there's a lot of like sneaky underhandedness. The mom is kind of trying to hide a lot from her daughter, uh, hide about her life. She's trying, she's not being very authentic, I think, in her relationship with her daughter I think the daughter is hiding a lot in her relationship and it's not unusual to hide things or not know every single detail about your parent or your teenager. But in this relationship, it seems like a, a lot is being hidden, like a lot of separation between them, especially for as much as they do interact and talk. And maybe if you pass them on the street, they would appear to be close um so it's, it's not really typical to me on many levels like where Georgia has a past and she's not very proud of her past and she envisions a very different life for her daughter and she's really trying to keep her safe from it there were there was something she said that I really loved that there there are things that she might tell Ginny that Ginny would not be able to look at her the same way that she couldn't mm -hmm. unknow those things so she was trying to hide them. She hit a whole family. She has no parents and she has no sister. And then all of a sudden the sister showed up now, you know, <laughs> the sister showed up and was, you know, and, and came for whatever reason she came. Yes. 
you know, to collect information for the private investigator who was looking into the death of Georgia's previous husband who died kind of okay. suddenly. And I, I think it was very interesting because there was an, an, authentic, an authenticity to the relationship between the sister and Georgia, but it also kind of mimicked whatever happened in the past. And I think it, it was a bit of a, a nod to the classism and where people are looking to just survive. And I think Georgia is looking to just survive and give her daughter the kind of life that was not like hers. And I think that's mm -hmm. what all of us parents are trying to do. Like we're trying to give our kids a better life than the one we had. Georgia was a 15 year old teenage mom, pregnant from a nice guy, a really nice guy mm -hmm. who was rebelling against his family, grew up a different class. Like it was, there were things that she was not pleased about, but she did everything she could to survive. And she's doing everything she can to try to give her kids a different and better life, even coming to wealth. Yeah. And you're right. That is relatable. I think most parents are trying to give our kids a better life um, for certain, certainly wanting to give our kids a better life and, and protect them from things that are scary or, or harmful in some way. We, um, we also do that. Yeah. I just, I think that this relationship, there's more, more lies and, and inauthentic than, than genuine and, um, yeah, connection. I'm based in how many people don't know things like, like parents that have kids that they had never met before. And all of a sudden they meet them after the parent dies or previous relationships that the parents had, but didn't share with, like, I feel like we're all in some ways trying to hide those parts of ourselves. And they talk about it. Like, what are the scariest things? And the scariest things are the parts of ourselves that are deep within us. They're not the scary mm -hmm. movies that she keep talking, keep talking yes, about. That the, she mentioned that, be, that scary movies are nothing compared to like real life. That's what scares um, Ginny. No, go ahead. I just thought of that line. That no, totally. Me. Those dark places inside of us that we're so terrified about. And the truth mm -hmm. is, is we all have them. We all have whatever programming we've had. We've all had whatever experiences, whatever visuals have come to us. And sometimes it makes us go to a deep, dark place in our brain that we might get scared of. Just notice their thought. Everybody has thoughts. Everybody will think those dark thoughts at times and acknowledge them as ways in which our mind is somehow trying to sort through things that that might not be understandable or maybe help us through things that are hard or protect us in other ways and mm -hmm. know that there's actually nothing wrong with you, even for thinking those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I, I find it really interesting. I, I love these two episodes. Halloween is so interesting because some people really love that holiday because it's kind of fun and you get to dress up and be a different version of yourself. And lots of people like to eat candy, but then Max talks about Halloween being the sexy holiday. Like unless she's bearing some boob and drinking, Halloween is not yeah. Halloween. So it's, it's Halloween. And I see lots of shows like that, where like, when you think about Mean Girls, Halloween is the holiday where people come in and try to dress as sexy as they possibly can. I don't know. What's your relationship to Halloween? I, I don't, I don't have much of a relationship to it in that way. Yeah. I don't have as much a connection because yeah, we do often live overseas. So Halloween is a very um, American holiday and uh, yeah, usually is not celebrated in the 
um, host country that we're living in. So we kind of, yeah, just run around and get candy and it's fun to dress up as a different character, but it's not the kind of decorations and all over the place, people going all out in every street you drive up and down kind of embracing Halloween. And I, but I do think that that trope, that idea of the sexy, every costume, sexy nurse, sexy kitten, sexy, everything sexy. You become like, I'm dressing up as a toothpaste too, but what's sexy? It's, um, yeah, kind of funny. And I guess there's some truth to it. It's, it's a joke and we're all laughing at it because that's, <laughs> that's what we've all made of Halloween. So I mean, are we looking to like channel some inner desire that we somehow don't get the opportunity to? No, I wear like a Renaissance dress every Halloween and I love this Ren dress. I mean, it's a, a little bit sexy, but not particularly sexy, but I'm always looking for the excuse to wear it. And so every yeah. Halloween, I pull this thing out that I bought at a Ren fair in New York, dying to wear at every moment. And I wear it during Halloween and nobody thinks that I'm really wacky. But one time, and I think you guys know that I'm a doctor, I decided I was going to wear this Ren dress no matter what. And it was like the middle of the year. It wasn't oh, Halloween. I put on this Ren dress and one of my patients said to me, oh, you're, you're wearing this dress. You know, like, what, what are you doing? And, and I said, I just feel like wearing it. And he's like, oh, I thought you were just one of those weird people that put on weird clothing. I was like, oh my God, I think I am one of those weird people that want to put on weird clothing. And I just do it on Halloween. So it might just be the time where people get to bring up their most interesting right, like society is accepting you like to wear whatever you want is permissible on that day and the rest of the days people might judge you for your outfits or have more opinions and wonder why are you wearing that that's weird, <laughs> weird. <laughs> you're one of those weird girls I know it was really really funny but I do like wearing that outfit so so maybe you get to do that I think it's, there's a lot of privilege to be able to make your house look the way it it needs to or wants to look for Halloween. Georgia clearly didn't have that privilege before. She mm -hmm. couldn't be necessarily bothered. She didn't have a place to live, nor a place that could be dressed up in a certain way. But then all of a sudden right. she was a Wellesley mom and there are things that are expected. And part of the expectation is that you turn your house into this fantastic Halloween house and that you get dressed up and you play the part. So everybody is trying to play the part to fit in. And I think we mm -hmm. all do that to some level. Yes. Right. Yeah. And right. For Georgia, every day is Halloween because she's always considering the kind of the role she's playing or the character like that she is presenting every single day in her house and her outfit. We always see her dressed in her outfit that represents what she thinks a Wellesley mom looks like. So no matter what time of day or day it is or what activity, she's in that Wellsbury mom outfit. <laughs> she's definitely looking um, a bit sexier than a Wellesley mom or a Wellsbury mom. Yes. Or whatever, but she's got a little bit of a lower cut look about her. I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition where Ginny was having dinner with her boyfriend and you kind of go back to where Georgia was having dinner with Zion's parents so they go back mm -hmm. to about the same age and the incredible differences that were going on Georgia being 15 and pregnant 
raised poor with a middle class or an upper middle class family of color. And clearly they wanted to do things differently and decided that them raising Jenny did not make sense at all and wanted to take Jenny away. And I, I was really impressed and, and wondering, because Georgia decided to kind of escape in the middle of the night, knowing that her life would not necessarily be her own mm-hmm. if they took away Ginny and she wouldn't have much of a choice about that. And she mm-hmm. ran away. I, I'm, I asked that question, would other people run away? I really, I thought she believed that she was trying to figure out how to make the life of this daughter better for her. And in some ways, I think she was a really great and somewhat responsible mom or as responsible mm-hmm. as you could be trying to make a living, making the living in any way she can. And believe me, women have always struggled trying to figure out to get the value of the dollar in our society. That's for sure. But she kept trying to do that. And I was impressed with her. And then Ginny meeting this upper middle-class family, them thinking Ginny was a certain way and how her life was supposed to be, or at least how they thought her life was and it wasn't. And all of a sudden she had this verbal diarrhea about what her life was previously. And it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't that. Yeah, right. Her insecurity and um, Jenny is sitting at the table at 16 meeting Hunter's family and Hunter's mom grilling about their college plans and clearly very kind of like a micromanaging mom who's focused on her kids well-being and the dad is there and everyone's cracking jokes kind of this ideal perfect family situation and then Jenny feeling so insecure and that kind of blabbing out like my mom's divorced my stepdad died and she's a widow and my mom was young when she had me and just blurting out all the kind of insecurities that she's feeling when she doesn't fit into that situation. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, you have a rosier view of Georgia than I do. So it's good for us to have these types because I just think at, at 15, when she's there with that little girl and wants the best life for her and these like stable and caring parents say, we don't want to take custody of her, but we will raise your daughter to allow our son to go forward in life and you guys can stabilize and then you know possibly at some point you could raise your daughter or something I think you know that's a pretty sweet opportunity to have a safe environment for your daughter rather than running away in the middle of the night with no money no plan no um you know no place to live no food to provide it's like that to me is putting your daughter in jeopardy and then the whole rest of her life you know as she's experiencing as she meets um you know other men in her life right like just go go back go talk to Zion's parents Zion's a good guy the parents are good people find ask for some help like figure out what you can do to create a stable situation for your daughter, even with this most recent stepdad guy who is an absolute creep. Why did you start with him? Why did you think it was okay to move your daughter in there? I just really have a lot of concern (laughs) for her choices. And I recognize that she is struggling. Everything you're saying is true. She's using what she knows. Um, But yeah, my concern is that she's using what she knows and struggling 
and working to the best of her ability without asking for help from the people around her who might be more stable or helpful. And then the other part of this episode, what about Jenny's popularity, like this sudden weird popularity that comes from likes from Hunter's songs and her like approval. And we see her go from insecure to kind of the popular girl at school for a bit. I thought that was really interesting. And I, and I definitely wrote something down here about that, about her all of a sudden being popular on a social feed and mm-hmm. how boosted and elevated she felt. But it was very fleeting. One comment about how she looked, one comment about her mixed heritage or whatever it was, yeah. just knocked her right off it. So when we're looking for validation from outside, even in the form of likes and social media attention and attention at school and people trying to get her autograph or whatever it was that that guy behind her was trying to do when she was walking in school, really doesn't last very long unless there is something deeply understood by yourself and love mm-hmm. for yourself that you could figure out and know that you're okay well before you get that particular yeah. kind of popularity. I, I just wanted to go back to something you said because I I, I liked your transition, but you're so right about that. I, I hadn't thought about that that way, that Zion's parents were offering, they did say custody, that they weren't necessarily going to adopt Jenny. But mm-hmm. I think that Georgia could tell right away that they would bring her in and do exactly what they want and really not take her opinions into account. Mm-hmm. And there's a way in which Georgia believed, whether it be misguided or not, that her opinions did make a difference in how she was going to raise this kid and wanted to make a difference. And I think we all want to do that. We all want to bring a young person into the world with the idea that we're going to do something different than what was done mm-hmm. to us. The life of Zion's parents is nothing that Georgia knew at all and nothing that she would have chosen, but you're totally mm-hmm. right. She did put Ginny in very bad and hard situations. Right. And there's 10 different ways to have your own influence. If you want your opinion heard, if you're Jenny and you're scared and you're 15 and you're young and you don't want to lose your daughter and you want to be there to raise her I mean I think there's some sacrifice there where you don't get to make yourself this decision of like I want my daughter and I want to be the one to raise her because your daughter's safety is in jeopardy here so now you have you would like to raise her that would be great but it's not going to work out and then you take different opportunities for how can I make sure she is raised with things that matter to me. And maybe I will ask Zion's parents if I can, you know, live with them for a while, or if they can help me get to a program where I can get my education and then I can be a big part of her life. And I don't, I don't know. I just think of, um, I think sometimes we have more opportunities than we see. And when you make a decision out of fear or, you know, it it might not be the best decision. We can't always see the bigger picture when we're scared. So you really oh, wanna... you're so right about that, that making that decision out of fear. Like she did not believe that there were different opportunities for her. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm not sure that there would be that were they. Yeah, we don't know. Right. Yeah. To live with them or not. But you're so right about that. Once you make that decision out of fear, it's very, very hard to make 
a decision that's well thought out and calculated mm-hmm. in any way. But in her um, mind, I'm sure she thought that Ginny was going to go to them and they were going to make all the decisions. And yeah. they were really trying to make those decisions for Zion. Zion really had to move pretty far away from them and travel mm-hmm. too far in distant lands to not be the lawyer that they somehow thought he should and was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and follow exactly his dad's um, role. Yeah, they were also seemed controlling. It wasn't that... Um, yeah, but then she just went into other controlling, manipulative, scary relationships that to me seem like a, a little more of a red flag than Zion's parents' situation. Okay, but so back to popularity. Um, I I noticed exactly what you said. It was like 12,000 likes and all the popularity. And she was just soaking it up and you could see her kind of being like wow this is fun and smiling and everyone's noticing her and giving her compliments and then it was that just one comment and it wasn't that I thought it was thoughtful that Jenny wasn't obsessed with likes and she wasn't checking up on her stats all the time she just glanced at a friend's phone incidentally noticing the third comment down and brushing over like fantastic or she's beautiful all the great comments and noticed that one and then instantly just felt miserable and complete despair which I think that is part of what we do in life the good things we don't pay as much attention to and that one upsetting comment we just replay in our mind or that one argument or one negative thing that we really tend to focus on which happens to so many of us in life that that was one example portrayed there but and then she went right to self-harm with the candles in the bathroom too which I again I'm just like freaked out that this message the way it is portrayed in the tv show to me it just seems much more like glamorous than painful like on euphoria they're doing terrible terrible things young girls and are making terrible decisions but it looks wretched and horrifying and this one looks like a little too pretty to me she's always dressed perfectly she always looks beautiful when she's upset and crying she still looks pretty perfect everyone kind of does max does um Georgia always that is a lot of how it looks though that people are doing this slightly under the surface and still Mm -hmm. putting on the face of everything being okay where you Mm -hmm. don't know what's going on because people again are trying to hide those little sore spots those little difficulties and they're doing it to the best of their ability I totally hear what you're saying It, it it's not it's not brought out as something that has ruined their lives. And often those self-harming behaviors aren't really ruining people's lives the way more visible harmful behaviors are, like certain types of drug use and so on. They're trying to release some upset or some whatever in a very, very secretive way. And people get really good at being secretive. And you could see that that this group definitely is very good at being secretive. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I agree. It's very um and and that's the way it's always been eating disorders, all of that. You I mean, 
could not notice that for know someone for 20 years and never identify that that's what they're doing. It's a very controlling and secretive, but I think behind closed doors in that bathroom, it's kind of horrific and awful. And we don't see that on the TV show. There's no horrific and awful. It's just kind of Jenny at the party who's achieved super popularity, kind of holding her hand. You hear that she's counting and you know she's burning herself and then goes back out to the party. And I just think it's not enough. I'm concerned that like the overall message in watching the show is like kind of like this is okay and this is what cool kids do and this is how it how you like feel something or go into a room and have this and there's one but I did notice in the credits there's one message where they link to one website for self-harm but again it's not to me they talk it's about it they say if you're help. engaging in self-harming behavior you can get help in this particular way I guess I don't see it as being glamorous. I see, I was really enjoying that she went up to the bathroom and started to cry and to let something out. And -hmm. then she didn't want to continue to do that. We're really not given a lot of permission to show that many feelings about Mm -hmm. anything because crying definitely would have helped there. Once I see somebody cry related to a situation, I think that the floodgates have opened up a bit and then for something to come out that things are not so tightly down. But she definitely wanted to put that to a stop quickly. And so I think that numbs whatever the pain is or releases it, which is what they're doing with the alcohol. They're doing the same thing. It's not really that different to me. You see Max doing that in in relation to the girl she likes, to Sophie. Yes. And then I was the other part too. What about the girl, Abby or Abigail, who's also in the friend group? And then you see her kind of giving one guy a lap dance. I don't know if Preston is her boyfriend, but one guy who's also a total sleazebag, just a jerk. She's giving him the lap dance, but her whole intent is what is the other girl thinking or what is Preston thinking about me? We know that it's not because she's just likes this guy and, you know, she's feeling like naturally hooking up with this guy she's doing it like for the attention and because he ignored her and then he says to another girl why don't you try and give me a lap dance and compete we'll see who's better and they're both looking at each other and then the other girl's like fine I will and nobody's crying like you when you pointed that out right it would be just if she felt ignored and then was crying, you would think, okay, this girl is processing some emotions, but we're hiding the emotion, playing um, crazy competitive girl games. And he was being such a jerk. I can't stand that guy. Abby was trying to get some kind of attention because Abby feels like a piece of crap. I realized in the bathroom beforehand when she was there that she was actually purging. So it wasn't only that she's taping up her legs, but she definitely has an eating disorder related to it. She came up to the mirror and started wiping up her face and rinsing out her mouth. So I assume that she had just vomited. But Abby is just a huge mess right now trying to get a certain kind of attention. Did you freeze on me? I think you might've frozen on me. She's trying to get a certain kind of attention, which I think is very, very difficult at the moment. And 
Preston is using this competition that happens between girls in order to pit one against the other and make himself feel really incredibly important or not. So this was all extremely interesting to me where girls are fighting for little bits of attention. That is definitely the sexism that comes through. They fight for this tiny bit of attention and they think there's not enough resource to go around. And then they're fighting about it with each other. And I think that that's where things get hard that the, with sexism in this society, there's so there's this perceived view of such a tiny bit of resource that they make us fight each other for it. And then we can't go after our big hopes, goals, and dreams. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what you think about that, Angie. Yeah. About the, the girl, the female relationships here. Um, I, I mean, it, it's such a great like possibility here because the cast represents like multiple backgrounds, multiple different struggles at home. Different, like there's, there's an opportunity here, but I, I mostly just see competitiveness, like meanness. I think Max sincerely likes Ginny. Ginny sincerely likes Max. And beyond that, I don't see of like respect, consideration, friendship there. Um, it's just kind of a lot of meanness and competitiveness and lying. And so that, that bothers me too. And the, okay. I have to just say though, that the, the very worst, worst thing is I really hate the relationship with Marcus and that he was just such a complete jerk. And then, um, Jenny finally kind of gives him the cold shoulder and then she apologizes to him and she went up to him and said no I was a jerk no he said it's no big deal fine whatever and she said no it was a big deal and I'm really sorry and she apologized to him when he never apologized to her for the 30 million times worse things that he's done I hate that she's apologizing to him and then he kind of takes care of his sister who's too drunk by putting a bucket by her bed and it's like what a nice guy oh he's so great I think like that is not qualify you as a great person we don't expect a lot from guys do we they do like one nice thing and then that's it we somehow believe that they're good eggs what is that about oh so yeah I'm not I mean, he's kind of the deep, dark, troubled soul that is Mm -hmm. misunderstood that that whole idea. And we talked about this before that they have a good heart or they really do care. It's kind of not enough if you're being crappy to somebody else. That's what I think it could be true that he could be a really kind and wonderful person inside. But once you've been such a jerk and just treated someone so badly at the very beginning of your relationship, it's not that they were awesome for eight years and then recently started being a jerk then you should not pursue and continue a relationship stop and abort and they're so enticing you could tell there's a way in which he sets out this net of Mm -hmm. interestingness or darkness or the way in which we women or girls want to take care of people and believe that that's how our 
self-worth is valued. And that's how we mm-hmm. value ourselves, how well we take care, how well we forgive, how kind we are, how complicit we are, whatever it is. So really, if somebody is showing you a dark, ugly side, and that is the first thing you see, maybe you'll delve deeper or not, but believe that side. Don't ignore that side. That is part of the many ways in which he's probably protecting himself, but it also will run in your direction and it won't be fun. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And then I just think the way it's portrayed on the show, it's this juxtaposition. I don't think this happens in real life, that there's someone that's quote unquote good and someone that's quote unquote bad. And you have to choose between them though. I realize that there's this theme of girls choosing between two guys with what's the um the werewolf and the vampire right with twilight and hunger games we have Peta and gail and we have all the um right like that common scenario and then but i just think on this show it's kind of like this guy is a little more appealing than like hunter who's writing songs for you and sort of goofy and just really nice i'm not wild about a lot of affirmation that hunter isn't giving her she doesn't have enough good feelings about herself or self-confidence to actually ride through where hunter might be socially awkward or where hunter's putting other things first or whatever's going on with hunter yes so right she she also has her demons to fight against and a lot yeah and that's what it always comes back Right. You're exactly right in saying it's like if we could just focus on Jenny and what what she thinks about herself, how she feels, what she wants in her life, she would be so much more on track than considering what everyone else is thinking about her or what impression she needs to make on all these people. I, I like the relationship with Georgia and the mayor. I think Mm -hmm. that he, Paul, is a pretty genuine guy who definitely was raised differently than Georgia was raised. And he doesn't, he, he loves her for reasons that are not only about her beauty and her wily ways. She is resourceful and she gets things done Mm -hmm. and she is beautiful and has her wily ways, but I like him and I like her and him together. And I also like when he said, what is it that you want from life? And what she wants is just to feel secure and truly free Mm -hmm. rather than being in survival mode constantly. And he's never had to do that. And that might be interesting to him. He has always been in a somewhat comfortable environment. It's also a somewhat controlled environment, which some people don't like. So we go back to that idea. Are you ever truly happy? Are you ever truly secure? Are you ever truly without problems? And Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, but George's problems have really been about survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just wants to be free. What she said, I just want to be safe and free to do whatever I want. Just that freedom, and um, I don't, I don't even care about that mayor guy. He's not appealing to me at all. He's just like this bland <laughs> loser guy. Um, I. Yeah, you I like think Joe. Are you like a it. Joe fan? I like Joe. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he's he's nice and I wonder why she's not paying attention to him, but um but 
Yeah, or most I see the kids keep saying like you promised it was just the three of us. Like they say that every episode, right? That they want it to be their nuclear family and their mom not to be focusing on their her next relationship. Well, Jenny said it. The second things start to go south, Georgia is moving. She is Mm -hmm. never looking back. She's always moving forward. That whole idea about not dragging through the the past mud and getting dirty. That is Mm -hmm. one way to do it. It will always come back. And that's why she has to move constantly. So no matter where you go and what you do, you follow yourself. Now, Mm -hmm. Jenny is becoming of an age where she's trying to figure things out. So things might be different just based on the fact that Jenny's going to put her foot down and Mm want to be somewhere or want to figure something different out. So things are, and always do evolve. It's interesting to see like where it will evolve to. Right. And you can see her as they move here, like, we're going to stay, we're going to stay, right? Like the kids keep asking like, mom, can this be our place? Can we really live here? Can we do this? And um, it's, I'm sure like Ginny feels the pull of wanting to do that for her kids and give them that safe, stable what she's craving safety so that she they have the freedom to do what they want and live their lives the way they want so well I think for you like I'm thinking about you somebody who has moved a lot and you've been in many different places and the safe stable place for you and your family has been you and your family Mm -hmm. so within the movement you still are able to create a safe space so that's an interesting thing that you don't have to actually keep somewhere, someone somewhere. The location, to, it doesn't matter. Right. But Georgia was never really a safe space because she kept finding things that put her kids in danger. So, and she's never experienced a safe space as far as we know from snippets from her childhood. It's, it's like an imaginary place to her. Um what a safe space is or she knows what it looks like from the outside I which is why I guess she focuses on setting up the bookshelves to look perfect in the couch and the front door decorations but I think you're right she did have an idea about what a safe space was just by meeting Joe when Joe was young at that rest stop that she met him in that that which Wellsbury stuck in her mind as that's where kids are smart and get to go on an amazing trip for their education right she focused on that definitely I just this might be an okay time to like stop here because I think we've covered so many things but I I do like that idea and the last part of episode six where Ginny talks about Georgia dealing with problems by ignoring them. The problems will build up and she'll pack them away, leave the past in the past. And that is Mm -hmm. one way. And then there are so many other ways to deal with problems. So just to know that 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 is one way and people keep themselves at least moving forward in some ways, but but your problems will always come back to be worked on Mm -hmm. again. And I I think if we can think of them as opportunities to start working on stuff so that actually they could go away, that they're being shown to us and bubbling up in a way to give us a a clue as to what needs to probably be focused on and worked on. 
Yeah, exactly. Which is what happens a lot with our teenagers. Say things to us that sting in some way <laughs> and we can stop and look at it and think, why is this so important to me? Or why does this affect me? And just uh, give it that consideration of paying attention to it rather than fighting back or continuing a cycle of arguing. That's so true. I, I think if we look at it with curiosity, as opposed to defensiveness, because I think most of the times I'm responding to whatever it is that my daughter is saying to me that triggers me is usually some trigger about where I feel like I'm being disrespected or not appreciated or something mm -hmm. like that, or that something dangerous is going to happen to her. And if, if I look back, I probably, it, it was an early not appreciation and early disrespect. And I've carried that to my present moment that people didn't respect me when I was a teenager. And if you think about the tropes of a teenager, when people talk about them, everybody always says to you, oh, watch out when they're a teenager, things are going to be bad. Yeah. Little, and like, little you little don't know what you're talking about. You're just young, right? People belittle teenagers all the time all the time, well before they even know the particular one. And I think it's it's more for for where somebody is really trying to figure out how to have an independent life, how to exert something. It almost seems like they're digging their heels in and being difficult or whatever it is. But, but it is the process of a way in which you decide what it is that you love or don't love or think or don't think or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So be curious, guys. Yes, keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Keep talking, talking. I know that you, through this process, and I've seen it now happen hundreds of times, can have your first really fun, good, interesting conversation without the fighting or yelling. And I, I think that's what we're going for, because once you have it, then you can have more. You only need mm -hmm. one, and then you're primed. The pump is primed for more. That's right. <laughs> true fun conversations yeah. yeah interesting conversations not screaming conversations absolutely <laughs> I mean where we really listen to each other or at least you're listening mm -hmm. to them so I think as as adults yeah. we get to we get to keep keep trying in the direction of somebody who is still trying to form their minds and opinions and lives mm -hmm. okay everybody well that's episodes five and six of Ginny and Georgia it seems like Angie and I are still feeling similarly about it. Angie definitely triggered by a lot of these messages and, and me painting rosy pictures of Georgia or not completely rosy, but, but seeing her side of it or whatever. I mean, it's interesting. I like our conversation with both perspectives because then I have to think more and yeah, it's, it's good to see, see it from another point of view. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy the episode. We've got questions in the show notes. Please like, subscribe, share with people, really get this message out because this is where we're going to make the big difference. Huge, wonderful, fun conversations with our launching teens that are going out in the world and will be the next generation of the people taking care of this world. So that's right. Lots of fun things. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks. If you want to really learn how to have the most meaningful, 
fun, connected conversations with your teenagers, get in touch with us and see if it makes sense to work together. You will stop future generational trauma as well as really decrease the incidence of high-risk behaviors just by your strong and close connections. All right, speak to you soon.